Hub, and Spoke. Audio Collective. Hi, today we have a reversioned episode of something we first reported in 2018. Here's Nina Porzuki. Patrick! Nina. <laughs> so remember that show, that improv show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh yeah, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> it's about a game called Scene to Rep. Greg and Wayne, you're gonna make up a scene. So I like this particular challenge because they're combining two kinds of improv, comedy and uh, rapping. I'm real scared, I'm getting kind of freaky. I think the ship is getting kind of leaky. I don't know what's out there, it can't be matter. I'm gonna freak out and then go splatter. Wait, wait a second, wait, have fun. It's only a black hole, I've got one. You gotta realize. You know, sometimes I, I imagine myself trying to do that and I think, I I can't do it. I don't have the speed of thought. What what about you? Have you ever tried? I did comedy sports in high school, which was really fun. I was never particularly good at it, but I I do like playing games like Yes and. Me too. I mean, I like all of those things without really understanding anything that's going on in our brains, right? I mean, like, how do these people process thought and turn it into language so quickly? From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle. Stories about languages and the people who speak them. And sometimes speak them with great humor and skill, on the fly, without notes. What's up with that? Hi, Nina. Hi, Patrick. It's Ari Daniel. He's a science reporter and a former work colleague of ours. He's made a few podcast episodes with us. Well, um, there's actually a lot to be said about the intersection of language and comedy. Naturally, language is the material that a lot of comedy gets made out of. But it can be even more elemental than that. I see words and I see how they can be kind of taken in different directions in order to create setups and punchlines. This is Sammy Wiegent. He's co-founder and CEO of a group called Speechless, a live improvised PowerPoint show. I promise it's more entertaining than it sounds. You should look it up. He, he says writing a joke requires him to consider a 360-degree view of language. He actually views words as comedic portals. A great example to teach people how to write a joke is this old setup that basically starts as, um, the other day I took my father out. Basically, what you're trying to do is take a word and build off of it, but in writing a joke, you're taking that word in a direction no one assumes it's going. So when you hear, uh, the other day I took my father out, you might be thinking, oh, out for lunch. Um, But it could mean you, you know, assassinated him, (laughs) or you took him out of the closet. So uh, the punchline could go in whatever direction. The other day I took my father out, and it was a big surprise to my mother, and now they're divorced, you know, like... You know, the other take took took my father out. It was the first time I've ever taken a priest to Buffalo Wild Wings, you know. So when I hear someone say something in an improv scene, I'm looking for what I sometimes think of as like a hyperlink on a web page. Like, what little word am I going to click on and what is it going to bring me to? All right. That's really interesting. So this um, idea must extend to lots of different kinds of improvisational forms. Right? Yes, exactly. And to explain, let me introduce you to Anthony Veneziale. Here he is beatboxing with Sammy Weijin. He's a master beatboxer, among other things. 
Yeah, I would say I am a professional improviser. I've done improv and comedy for over 20 years now. These days, he spends a lot of time as a producer and director of that same group I mentioned before, Speechless. He's also a co-founder, and he's quite proud, understandably so, of another show he created called Freestyle Love Supreme. Which is an improvised freestyle rap concert. And I did that along with a couple of dear friends who have gone on to make very big things. Like Chris Jackson, David Diggs, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Wow, that's quite a list. It is. A night or two before I spoke with Veneziale, I was browsing YouTube and bumped into a video featuring Freestyle Love Supreme. And it blew me away. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is sunrise. The song begins. The only rule is it has to center around the word sunrise. It's gorgeous, it's nuanced, and it's completely improvised. Okay, growing up in Maryland as an Indian, struggling. But my favorite part is this guy, Utkarsh Ambudkar. I'm trying to get a girl to remember my name. Hard game when you skinny with a brown colored frame in the middle of the world and you can't get a girl and you can't get your grades and He's creating rhyming lyrics on the fly and he's doing it so damn quickly. What do I do? These people don't even know what is a Hindu? Are you black or are you white? We can't tell what color. And then he gets to this part. So I went to a father, went to my mother. Looked him in the eyes, said, I'm tired of this disguise. Tired of feeling low. They looked at me and said, Son, you gonna grow. Son, you gonna rise. Son, you gonna grow. Son, you gonna be whatever you want, bro. Son, you gonna be on stage being a pro. Spitting all day upon the microphone. Son, you gonna rise. Son, you gonna fly. Son, you gonna reach the sun, moon, and the skies. Son, you gonna be the one we proud of. So, Say your name even louder, sunrise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. We all were just, our faces all melted off for that one. Utkarsh, like, just takes it to a whole nother level. And I think all of us, <laughs> while we were taping that segment, were like, uh, did that just happen? Because it feels like you're pulling off this magic trick. Can you just kind of describe what it feels like when you're improvising? Like, what exactly is happening inside your head. There's some kind of switch where I'm like, let's let all the doors open in the brain. Let's like let everything sort of just go and don't judge any of those impulses. And I think what's happening is I've gotten uh, pretty good at allowing this part of my brain called the medial prefrontal cortex um, have a little bit more rain there, which allows for more self-expression and more doors to be opened. And I've been able to kind of start muting that uh, other part of your brain where your sort of inner critic comes out. Uh, I think that's the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Wow, this guy seems to know an awful lot about his brain. Yeah. This is the neurosciences building that we're just entering now. The day I interviewed him, he was being accompanied by research assistant Lauren Jacobs into an fMRI machine. That's one of those brain scanners, right? Yes, a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine. And we'll head down the hallway on the right. So you're de-metal? 
I'm demetaled. Okay. Ari, why was he going into an fMRI? I'll tell you, Nina, but first there's someone else you need to meet, Charles Lim. I'm sort of the director of the hearing and hearing loss uh, clinical efforts here at University of California, San Francisco. Lim is an otolaryngologist. In Ari. A... <laughs> <laughs> Say that one again. Spell it. Spell it. Well, I've got the script. I can cheat. I'll try without looking. O-T-O-L-A-R-Y-N-G-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Oh, wow. very good. Okay, you haven't told us what it is. Yet. Oh, it's an, e, it's an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Otolaryngologist. Otolaryngologist. And in addition to all that, he's got a thing for music. I've kind of had a lifelong obsession with music um, ever since I remember being alive, really. I started off on piano, but then I switched uh, to saxophone when I was in middle school. You know, my house looks like a music store. I've got about, I don't know, 60 instruments or something in my house of various kinds. And so I'll kind of play anything I can get my hands on. Um, So I have been playing jazz. I never stopped. And so it's something I do almost all the time, even today. For instance, here's a song that Lim wrote and performed. And the older I got, the more and more I was obsessed with this idea of trying to understand music. Hence his desire to become a hearing specialist. I found myself at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, where I was doing functional brain imaging. I started to see that there might be an opportunity to look at the creative brain in action if we did functional MRI scanning of jazz musicians. Lim wound up doing this study, and here's what he and his colleagues found. When a musician switches from a memorized state uh, where they're playing something, let's say the melody of a tune, and they start improvising on that tune, a major change in functional activity of the brain takes place. The creative brain, especially in a sort of spontaneously creative state like jazz improvisation, is shutting off big parts of the conscious self-monitoring apparatus in order to allow the unimpeded flow of novel ideas. We think that in the case of jazz musicians, they're really, really good, exceptionally good at allowing their brains to get out of their own ways while they're improvising. And it's not just jazz musicians who get into this flow state. It doesn't take very much to see the parallels between what a great jazz musician is doing and a great comedian is doing. This whole concept of spontaneous flow and immediate improvisation, I think freestyle rap is another one. And so I had thought to myself, well, now that we've been working with musicians, it would be nice to know how universal these neural substrates of creativity really are. Back to the episode in a few moments after I tell you about the subtitle newsletter. Yes, we have a fun little missive that'll pop up in your inbox every two or three weeks. It's a breezy five-minute read, some language-themed news, some previews of future episodes, And, of course, some goofy lingo stuff. How do you get to read this charming and amusing and free newsletter? Just sign up at subtitlepod.com slash newsletter. That's subtitlepod.com slash newsletter. Charles Lim wanted to know how what he saw in the brains of those jazz musicians compares to the brains of other improvisational artists to see what's the same and what's different inside people's minds as they create on the fly. 
For a while, this was nothing more than an idea for Lim, an itch he hoped to scratch at some point, until Chicago's Second City, an improvisational theater troupe, got in touch with him. I got an inquiry asking me to come visit them because they were interested in my research and they wanted to know more about it, and I was like, well, this is perfect. Lim went to one of their classes and a couple of their shows. It got him fired up. And this was right around the time that he moved to San Francisco. And when that happened, Anthony Veneziale, our professional improviser from before, got in touch. I had a huge talent crush on Charles Lim. I sent him an email and I was like, dear Charles Lim, you are the best human being that I know. Um, Can I take you to lunch? Uh, And he had just moved here. So luckily he like didn't have that many friends in San Francisco yet. Uh, And he was like, sure, I'd love to meet up. And it was just one of those, you get to meet with your hero, A, and then B, you get to hear that they're interested in all the things that you're interested in. And then I think it's that sort of like stepbrother moment where you're like, did we just become best friends? Yep. We just got to talking and yeah, what can I say? The bromance is alive. It's out of this bromance that the current fMRI research study blossomed. Granted, it took some iterating. We then said, let's figure out what might make sense inside of a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, uh, because you're not going to see too many improv scenes happening in an fMRI, just in terms of the cost alone. But also the staging is hard. The functional MRI scanner is not in any way the same thing as being on stage at a comedy club. It's just not. You have to realize that you're doing a science experiment. You're not putting on a show. And so you have to find that sweet spot between designing an experiment that feels kind of like what it naturally feels like to do that activity, but also one that is controlled, structured, and scientifically rigorous enough that you can actually gain meaningful data. It took a lot of work to get it right, and lots of back and forth between Lim and his team and Veneziale and his team. How exactly do you capture the magic of an improvisational moment inside a brain scanner? How do you isolate the creative impulse? Ultimately, they did develop something they were happy with. The resulting study consists of pairs of tasks, one that relies on spontaneous improvisational thinking, and another, the control, that depends on information that's been memorized. This allows for a straightforward comparison of the subject's brain when performing the two tasks. You need to have a control condition where you can almost subtract that stuff out so that what's left over is kind of creativity so to speak. Which brings us back to Veneziale inside the fMRI. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can indeed. All right. So we'll start the initial scan. Gives us a nice baseline of his brain. This is Lauren Jacobs again, who works in Charles Lim's lab. The baseline scan takes five minutes to execute. Once it's complete, the experiment begins in earnest. Okay. How you doing, Anthony? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay, just as a reminder, the first game we're going to be playing is Yes And. And so uh, you'll hear four sentences that begin with the first half of a well-known saying. For the control, we want you to respond with Yes And, and then the full idiom. For the improv section, just go ahead and do whatever you want, as long as you're saying Yes And and use one word from the sentence you heard. Sound good? Yep. One of the idioms begins with Roses are red. 
Jacobs offers, roses are red like the velvet curtains in the theater. First, Veneziale responds improvisationally. Yes, and the theater is the magical dreamscape of your mind. Yes, and red velvet cake is my favorite. Then he responds with the expected second half of the idiom. Yes, and roses are red and violets are blue. Another game is called Three Things. In this game, you will have five seconds to come up with three things that fit into a given category. For the control, we want you to respond with one, two, three for numbers, uh, ABC for letters, and red, white, and blue for colors. Okay, you ready? Okay. Alrighty, let's go. The rapid-fire game of categories begins. First category, musicians. Coltrane, Braxton, Lucier. Next category, awards. All of them? For me? Thanks. Category after category. The last one, phone apps. Uh, Tinder, uh, Facebook, and volume. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Volume. You're welcome. Then the control. Numbers. One, two, three. Letters. A, B, C. Colors. Red, white, and blue. Etc., etc. The scan takes about an hour, and Veneziale is just one of numerous improv comedians taking part in the experiment. So we're very much in the preliminary phases of looking at data. Charles Lim again. But I will tell you this. We're seeing vast differences between the improvising comedian's brain and the memorized comedian's brain, sort of in the way that we saw big differences between the jazz musician's brain. And so we're quite convinced that the state of creativity is a different functional brain state, and it's measurable, and that these comedians are a fantastic kind of uh, population of people to look at this intriguing question within. Okay, so Ari, is there a takeaway for the rest of us, like those of us who aren't jazz musicians or professional improvisers or rappers? Yes, Nina, there is. I, I think there are two, actually. First, Lim says these studies have a lot to say about language, which for all of us is an improvisational medium. Mm-hmm. Conversations tend to be generated spontaneously in the moment. Little of what we say to each other is pre-rehearsed or scripted or committed to memory. That is a fundamental attribute of what it means to be human, the idea of responding to something that you didn't anticipate happening. I think that creative arts that utilize language, whether it's you know, recited poetry, freestyle rap, or comedic improvisation, will all help us understand that the language capacities of the brain are very flexible. Okay, so, so what about the second takeaway? Well, it's that improv isn't a thing that only professionals that get paid to do it up on stage are able to accomplish. Oh, so like those of us who are not paid to speak professionally and are just chatting like you and I are now, is that what he's talking about? Yeah, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond language. Improvisation is a crucial part of what it means to be human. Think about when you drive home from work. You're improvising your way through the traffic and the you know, twists and turns that happen. You know which general direction you're going to go in, but you don't quite know what you're going to be doing any particular given moment of the drive or whatever it might be. And so there's so many forms of improvisation. There might not be great art, but it's still pretty remarkable that the brain can do it. And I think that the 
artistic versions are just the finest versions that the human brain can produce. Lim invites people to embrace more improvisation in their lives, since it seems to have real impacts on the brain. So far, we've seen that the creative brain is generally a more activated brain than the non-creative brain in the areas that process language um, and in the areas that process sensory stimuli. To me, it's a, a really strong argument. It's not proof, but it's a strong argument that we should not be eliminating the arts or creative activities from things like school systems and educational plans. This is how our brains learn to generate new ideas and new solutions to problems that we didn't even know existed. So this sounds like a really big potential takeaway to all of this, that if we allow this stuff to just uh, wither, then we're going to lose out big time in how we conceive of making things better in the future. Yeah, exactly. And Anthony Veneziale couldn't agree more with you, Patrick. He searches for opportunities to improvise wherever he goes. I do have one day a month with my older daughter, uh, because she's seven now and can kind of handle it, where she gets a yes day. And anything she asks, anything she wants to do, as long here are the rules, as long as she doesn't hurt anyone or hurt herself, then we can do it. She wasn't immediately like, I want to eat ice cream every minute of the day. She was like, can I go to the park that I want to choose? <laughs> it's kind of amazing that when you give somebody that latitude, and, and maybe this is because I, I haven't encouraged her to dream big, <laughs> but they were really small asks. Nothing was crazy. Can we go swimming today? Absolutely. Can we get pizza for dinner? Sure. It, was, it wasn't like, can I go and stab a person? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be problematic if right out of the gate it was into body stabbing. <laughs> You're like, that's not what I had in mind with this exercise. <laughs> exactly. Turns out body stabbing isn't so good for the brain, creative or otherwise. It kind of deprives it of blood and oxygen. <laughs> Ari Daniel. You can hear his science stories on NPR. Everything from the daily singing regimen of zebra finches to why certain astronauts who, when they're up in space are prone to getting rashes. I think you'll agree, these are winning stories. We'll post photos and a video from this story in the episode transcript. Just follow the link in the show notes. You can do us a favor and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. A review can be two or three sentences or just a single word. Go on, do it. It'll make you feel good. Thanks this time to Louis Cronin, Tina Toby, Shuka Kalantari, and to the World Public Radio Program. Special thanks to Alison Shaw, who writes the newsletter and manages our social media. Thanks also to the Linguistic Society of America, whose annual meeting I went to earlier this month. Nice to see old friends and meet some new ones. And to listen to linguist panel presentations where they talk about the research they've been doing, some of which will inevitably find its way onto this podcast. I'm very grateful to everyone at that event. Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. We're a bunch of independently-minded podcasters who, well, I think most of us start thinking about an episode with a bunch of questions in our heads. If we want to know more about something, be it science-y, tech-y, arty, language-y, if we want to know it, we figure you do too. So let's hear it for some of the Hub and Spoke podcasts. 
Nocturne, Soonish, Print is Dead, Long Live Print, and many more. Check them all out at hubspokeaudio.org. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.